Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, May 16th, after the Cubs take two of three in Detroit from the Tigers. We will talk about these three games, and we will set you up for a big series back at Wrigley Field with the Washington Nationals. But, Brendan, uh, somewhat of a frustrating loss in extra innings on Saturday. Cubs squandering a few leads in that game. You feel like they could have swept, which against a team like the Tigers, you kind of always dream on, on sweeping a series. But, Two out of three, they they took care of business against a bad Tigers team. I, I think all in all, uh, a very solid weekend here for the Cubs. Besides that Saturday loss, you had a lot of positive trends. Kyle Hendricks had the best start of his uh, season, arguably. You have Nico back. Jake Arrieta looked like he was in good shape on Friday. Jock Peterson continues to hit the ball well. Ian Happ had a good series. A lot of good positives going forward, even though they didn't sweep that series. But hey, you know, road series win get back at it, get these guys healthy, and keep it going. Yeah, I think that is really the main takeaway from the weekend, uh, the the health, the health, the overall health of this team, just sort of slightly improving, right? Um, and like you said, Nico back, Ian Happ back, Chris Bryant was in the lineup this whole series after he exited the other day in Cleveland, you know, so there was a, a little bit of a scare there just if he would miss any time. He misses none, has a very nice series, so uh, no worse for wear there after the hit-by-pitch on the wrist the other day. Marisnik was running the stairs, I think they said, in Detroit, so that injury seems to have avoided being catastrophic. No timeline necessarily for him to come back exactly yet, but just good to hear that he's running and and getting back into game shape and that this isn't some, you know, hey, see you in a few months kind of injury. So that is good news. Yeah, so that that is all good news, just sort of getting some of these guys in the right direction. But let me run through these three games real quick, set the table for us, and then we will jump into all that happened. On Friday, it was a 4-2 to two Cubs win. Jake Arrieta, uh, not his his best outing, but he he does get through it. He, he was uh, effective enough to get a quality start and a win. Six innings, four hits, two earned, one walk, one strikeout. He got bit by the home run ball a little bit, giving up two home runs in this one. But again, he, he did enough to get the quality start and the win, so a solid outing from Jake. The bullpen behind him was really good on Friday. Friday, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell, all with completely clean innings, no hits, no walks, no runs from either of those three. Chafin with a strikeout, and Craig Kimbrell in that game on Friday, Brendan, struck out the side all three batters, swinging at 97 mile per hour fastballs. Woo, that was uh, vintage. Craig Kimbrell, if you will. So that was a very nice game 
on Friday from the pitching staff. The Cubs getting their runs on Friday via the aforementioned Chris Bryant. That, that That's the quickest way to remind everyone that you're all right after getting hit by a pitch in the wrist. Uh, and, you know, remember he exited the game in Cleveland. David Ross said he wasn't feeling well. He would have been pinch run for anyway, but still. Uh, good to see him in the lineup, and of course, good to see him blasting his 10th home run of the season that made it 2 to nothing. To the opposite field, too, Corey. Absolutely, Brendan. Always good to always good to see anybody going to the opposite field, but Chris in particular, he's he's doing it all. That That's like one of those things. You know, obviously, a lot of his hits and home runs come via uh, the pull, but it's, you know, he's he just felt like adding more to what he's already doing in this MVP level campaign. Uh, let me just pop one oppo real quick, make sure I'm using the whole field. Anthony Rizzo would add to the Cubs lead with an RBI double in the fifth, Javi Baez an RBI single. The Tigers, as I said, would get two on home runs in the sixth, but that would be all she wrote. Four to two, the final on Friday. That's Kimbrell's seventh save of the season. On Saturday, it was a 9-8 to Tigers win, the leads going back and forth in this one. The Cubs jumping out to an early 2 to nothing lead. The Tigers respond with three in the bottom of the first. Cubs jumping back in front with two more in the third. The Tigers promptly taking that back with three more in the bottom of the fourth. The Cubs would add three in the fifth to regain the lead. The Tigers would tie it in the seventh with one. The Cubs would bring in the inherited runner once we went to extra innings, but the Tigers would add two, so that means they win the game as they were the home team. So this was a struggle from Trevor Williams. We will be talking about him once we come out of the quick recap here. Two innings, four hits, three earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. So it wasn't necessarily a catastrophic outing for Trevor Williams, but David Ross did not like what he saw. Uh, I think in particular the sort of immediacy of erasing that two-run lead. The Cubs spotted him in the first inning. Didn't like what he saw and, and got him out of there after the second inning on only 42 pitches. So that was the deal with Trevor Williams on Saturday. Not great. Uh, We will talk about that. And the Cubs getting their runs in this one. Anthony Rizzo with the two RBI double in the first. He also had an RBI ground out in the third. Matt Duffy, a big game for Matt Duffy. He had five RBIs in this game. The first, a RBI double in the third. The Cubs continuing to add on in the fifth with more Matt Duffy. Thumbs up, everybody. He hit a three-run home run, his first of the season. That scored Brizzo, both uh, parts of Brizzo. That gave the Cubs a momentary lead in the fifth. And guess who gave the Cubs the lead in the top of the tenth? It didn't last, but it was Matt Duffy again. So the Cubs didn't win. Can we can we still call it the Matt Duffy game? Uh, you know, I think you'd rather it be in a win, but still, this game had Matt Duffy written all over it. Unfortunately, the pitching not good enough on Saturday to hold Matt Duffy's uh, five RBI day for the win. Alec Mills relieved Trevor Williams. He goes one and two-thirds, two hits, three earned runs, two walks, and two strikeouts. Mills also hits the injured list uh, this weekend, so we will see in the future what is up with Alec. Justin Steele, a solid inning and a third. He did walk two, but allows no runs. Uh, pitched out of some jams there. 
And the other thing of note, a lot of relievers in this game, obviously, with Williams only going two innings and the game lasting until the 10th. But the only real thing I want to add uh, is Keegan Thompson, who we'll also talk about in a little bit. Uh, A really solid outing from Keegan Thompson uh, late in relief there. Two innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, and five strikeouts in two innings of work for the young man brilliant stuff from him. So uh, in line with, you know, guys like Justin Steele and of course, Adbury Alzali that we've been talking a lot about their future oriented uh, potential here for the Chicago Cubs organization. Keegan Thompson certainly uh, taking, making the most of the opportunities that he is being given here. So that is uh, the story on Saturday. And on Sunday, it was a pretty nice, uh, clean, easy Cubs win. It, uh, Kyle Hendricks with another good outing, like Brendan said, perhaps his uh, best of the season. I, I certainly think it was. Eight innings, eight hits, one earned, zero walks, and eight strikeouts for Kyle Hendricks. He got 30 called strikes in this game on Sunday, Brendan. That's baffling. I mean, that's just a baffling number of uh, called strikes there. So Hendricks was on, command was on point, everything was crisp, just a very solid outing for Kyle's third win of the season. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on a KB RBI ground out and some really great base running from Ian Happ on that play. He scored from second uh, on a ground out. So you can kind of do the math there, forcing the issue from the Tigers, got a bad throw, he scored a run. So great stuff from Ian Happ there. He also added an RBI double in the fourth and he would add his third home run of the year in the sixth. The Cubs also getting their runs on a David Bodie double, so that was good to see. We've talked about Bodie a good bit and kind of deserving better than the numbers, and Nico Horner with a sack fly. So five to one was the final on Sunday, and that is all she wrote. So like we said, Brennan, uh, a solid overall series would have really liked to have held that lead on uh, Saturday, a a few of those leads. And, you know, of course, the offense gets eight runs, would have liked to make that work, but a pretty tall order for the bullpen to cover uh, so many innings after Trevor Williams. But two out of three ain't bad. Trevor Williams has been really bizarre in the month of May, and he started the year throwing way more curveballs than he did in years past. And that was one pitch that kind of caught my attention because in spring training, he was talking to the media about how he was adding that pitch with more frequency. And Tommy Hadovy talked about it too. So to me, that was like, all right, you know, maybe this is one pitch that can kind of get Williams to that next level. Started out in April throwing it, and he got some success with it. This month, though, he's gone away from that pitch. So he's only thrown that pitch like 5% of the time. And he was throwing that pitch around 12 to 15% uh, from start to start in, in April. And then in that Saturday contest, through 42 pitches, only threw one curveball. So I... I don't know what's going on with the curveball. I don't know if he has no feel for the pitch. I don't know if it's just a random scouting report thing against the teams he's been uh, he's been facing. But for some reason, he's not feeling comfortable with that pitch. And just across the board, his secondary pitches have not been as effective as they were more so earlier on in April too. So his put away percentage, for example, his slider in the month of May is only 14%. It was 30% in April. So his secondary pitches, not there. Now the stuff like looks like it's similar. The command doesn't look that bad. Like his zone percentage, how many pitches he throws in the zone is up 6% 
from last year, but his walk rate is almost five batters per nine innings. It doesn't really make sense to me, and it just maybe suggests that he's kind of going through some adjustments like inning to inning maybe one inning that looks good the second inning is off the rails I kind of see that when I watch these games but it's confusing that that's where I'm at and I know when you see Keegan Thompson you're like oh man you know he could be a starter for the future I'm kind of sick of watching Trevor Williams pitch like I kind of get that but at the same time like Trevor Williams still has one more year of team control. He's still under 30 years old. He's still throwing heat. He's getting whiffs with that four seam. It unfortunately still may be a work in progress, but yeah, I mean, I've seen some chatter around Twitter. It's like, hey, I kind of like this Keegan Thompson guy, and Trevor Williams can't get through six innings. Uh, what are we doing here? So I get that. I It's just confusing. It's Still early, relatively speaking. I don't know what to do with him. I still like him. I still like his stuff. I, I'm maybe more patient with him. I don't know how you feel about it, Corey. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you were uh, pretty big on the signing and all of the stuff that he was able to do, his repertoire. Well, it was just, it was just interesting. Yeah, right? for he sure. had like, these unique features. Not to say, hey, he's going to turn out to no, this, to this no, like, for sure. you next did not level say pitcher. That, but... Yeah. Um, but... I mean, here here's the deal. Here's how I look at this, right? In in all reality, when we started the season, Alzali was the five because that was the day that he started, right? He was the fifth pitcher to start for the Cubs. So that's how the rotation lined up. But in reality, with how these guys have pitched, now that Zach Davies has, has settled down a bit and looks more like who you were expecting Zach Davies to be and who he's been over the past few years, um... I think that you are able to pretty confidently say, okay, Trevor Williams is the fifth starter. That's that's where he is. That's the output that we should be sort of holding him to the standard of, right? And and I think that's fair. The So when he's not as successful, it's okay, right? He, he's your fifth starter in a rotation that, you know, got worse over the offseason, right? I mean, we don't have to relitigate the Udarvis trade all the time, but like he's the fifth starter in a rotation that you got rid of a guy who almost won the Cy Young. So you're not necessarily expecting the world from him is what I'm I'm getting at. That being said, the thing that they're going to have to figure out and that Trevor's going to have to figure out, even if the results aren't great, we have to get more length from him. This is just not going to work, right? So he throws a six-inning quality start in his first start as a Cub, his first start of the season on April 5th against the Brewers. Six innings, two hits, two runs, six strikeouts. Very nice game from Trevor Williams. Since then, he has gone three and a third, then five innings, three straight times. Uh, Up until that game, he started against the Braves. That finished the month of April. In May, he's gone two and two-thirds against the Reds, four innings against the Pirates, and two innings uh, this weekend against the Tigers. Now, all of those outings have not have all been, you know, under 100 pitches, a lot of them under 90 pitches. So some of this lack of length is, you know, David Ross and, and Tommy Hadovy wanting him out of the game, wanting to go to a reliever, whatever it is. So it's not like he's been throwing 140 pitches and, you know, that that's all he he's exhausting it in, in three innings of work. But however we're getting there, right, you need more length. Like that killed them on Saturday. And it was really, really big of Kyle Hendricks to pitch the way that he did on Sunday, go eight innings. They only needed to bring in Dan Winkler and they only needed to do that because the Pirates, or excuse me, the Tigers got, you know, got a couple of 
whatever hits in that ninth inning against Hendricks, and David Ross just didn't want him throwing 130 pitches to try to get a complete game. So that was big, but that really that really saved them because the Cubs had to use a ton of relievers on Saturday because you go to extra innings and Trevor Williams, you didn't want him pitching out of the th- second inning, you know? So I don't have the answer. I, I would turn more to Brendan to that, to look at the mechanics, the repertoire, the pitch usage, the sequencing, stuff like that. And we, we you certainly see the potential of Williams. I, I don't I, I don't think um, you know, even if you were entertaining a different role, I don't think, you know, I I I I don't think I would be and I don't think you should be of the mindset like, oh, I'm done with this guy, get rid of him or DFA, you know, like no. And like Brendan said, you have uh the the option for next year. So if there's something interesting there, you want to find it. And I think we've seen flashes of that. But this is three starts in the month of May. You got one of them in the fourth, the other he doesn't get out of the third inning. It's just not gonna work. You cannot have every fifth day ask your bullpen to go four, five, six plus innings. It just isn't going to work. It's going to kill the bullpen, and they've done a really nice job collectively as a group. But one way to really put the pressure test on them is to ask them to cover so many innings uh, so often. So whatever Trevor has to do, whatever Tommy Hadaby has to do with him, have to see more than two, three, four inning starts, because that's just not going to work. So that's my main concern with Trevor. I'm not asking him to go out there and throw seven innings of shutout baseball, right? I'm looking to Kyle Hendricks to do that. I'm looking to Alzali to do that. Um, I'm hoping Zach Davies can, you know, start doing that or continue having some solid starts like that. So you're not asking the world of Trevor, but got to give me, you know, five innings or something like that every now and again, right? Well, he's done that in the past, right? There's like two ways to look at it. The one way is like, oh, he just can't get through four or five innings because his stuff sucks. It's not true. He can't get through four or five innings because he can't command those pitches right now. And he's clearly trying to search for something. When you see a pitcher use like a curveball once every five pitches for a prolonged period of time, and all of a sudden use that pitch one time out of like almost 50 pitches, he's searching for something. So I think like Williams has the potential to get through the order multiple times. He has more than, he has four or five pitches, right? So he can do it. It's just getting to the point where he's comfortable with the pitches and sequencing and getting better command with the pitches where he can maybe showcase more secondary pitches and get through the order. He can do it. He's not doing it. It's not because he can't do it. It's because for some reason, He's just not feeling it right now. And that's I know it's an ambiguous general thing to say, but it's being reflected by his pitch usage. And if you watch these games, it's just, it's like, I don't know, man. It's almost like batter to batter. I feel like one one at-bat's really good, and then the next at-bat is like, all right, what's, what's going on here? And I was shocked when Ross took him out after like two innings. Like I... I, I get it, and I kind of like Ross's urgency there. I think he's managed with a, a great he deal of urgency. He looked kind of peeved in dugout when they showed him. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to tell if he's peeved at himself yeah, or, or, or yeah. the decision. Um, but I do like the urgency, and for Ross to do that, I think it's significant because it reflects the point at which Williams is with his development, with his pitching infrastructure. And it'll look good at the start. There's been some hiccups. It happens probably, and that's just kind of where it is. He has to work on some stuff, and I don't know, Corey. Like, of course, I want to see Williams in the rotation, but at the same time, would it shock me if he gets? 
put into the bullpen just for like a week or two just to get him straightened out and thrown back in there? No, like actually it would not shock me. I don't think it's an indictment of his future with the Cubs. I think it's more just trying to get him back and get him back to a valuable pitcher fast, as fast as possible. When I think we kind of assumed that we might see stuff like that anyway, just with, you know, uh, Alzali being an innings limit or, you know, pitch limit at some point. And, you know, just just all the talk that we had of not necessarily going with straight up five guys for 30 plus starts each over the course of 162 games. So wouldn't surprise me to see something uh, like that at some point anyway. And, you know, if you've got a good candidate for it in Williams, just someone who you, you know, kind of want to calm down a little bit, figure out what you need to break through the the issues that he's having now to kind of get him back to the way that he looked in those first few starts. I, I don't have a problem with it, right? We figured they were going to do it anyway, and, you know, it it, it doesn't necessarily help that uh, perhaps one of the guys you would have looked at in Alec Mills, you know, we'll see what his injury is and how they deal with that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, maybe you give Keegan, Keegan Thompson a look, maybe you piggyback a couple of guys that can give you uh, a few innings at a time just to break things up. But, We'll see how they decide to proceed with that, but either way, I'm going to have to get more than two innings uh, from Trevor Williams going forward here. But I want to talk, uh, let's let's stay in the rotation since we're there, and let's talk about Kyle Hendricks. Um, we've, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm like patting our, ourselves on the back here for continually saying that we're not worried about Kyle Hendricks uh, at the beginning of the season when he's had you know, perhaps some uncharacteristic struggles, et cetera, because Kyle Hendricks is really good. I don't think we deserve much credit for, you know, just believing in him. Um, but we're, you know, starting to sort of see why, in, in case anybody was a little concerned, um, really good on on Sunday. And, you know, it's against the Tigers, but whatever, right? He's, he's pitching against the lineup he's asked to pitch against. Eight strikeouts, like I said, 30 called strikes, just painting the zone. He had some filthy pitches, um, you know, with that run back to the inside corner against lefties on a, on a couple of those pitches that was just, you know, he, he gets compared to Greg Maddox a lot, but he was throwing some very Maddox-esque pitches on Sunday, sneaking back into the zone, catching the black. And you had that, that start against the Pirates uh, last time out on May 9th, where, you know, he had that bad first inning. It was just sort of like a, a BABIP nightmare for him, right? Not a lot of, of good contact, but it was finding holes. It was falling in the outfield. So he gave up four earned in that game, but I think we all agreed watching it that he didn't really deserve that bad of a line. Um, but, you know, you go back to that Dodgers start that started his month of May. That was seven innings, one earned. Uh, six strikeouts and just one walk, and then you add in that start today against the Tigers, eight innings, no walks, eight strikeouts. Kyle Hendricks is rounding into form, Uh, and so I think if you did have any concerns about him, unlike Brendan and I, um, I think you can get rid of them and just sort of expect Kyle Hendricks to be doing his thing and going out there and flirting with complete games, flirting with shutouts, getting a bunch of weak contact because at least from where I'm sitting, he looks he looks very good. He looks like Kyle Hendricks. He's getting weak contact. He's painting the zone. Command looks finer. I think he's he's back to being Kyle Hendricks, Brendan. Yeah, I thought he was back to being Kyle Hendricks two starts ago. I, we, we talked about it, right? And there was a lot of like 
positive talk about Kyle, even from the coaches, two starts ago. And again, the last start, the struggles in the first inning, that was complete nonsense. That was just a random fluky baseball if I've ever seen it in my entire life. And this start on Sunday, his velo, best of the season. He reached 90 miles per hour with that four seam. I know. So. When you see Kyle's velo that high, that means his mechanics are in tune and the command typically follows suit. Corey, what happened on Sunday? Command was very good. Velo was his highest. And he was able then to use that curveball 14% of the time. There was a great segment in the first or second inning by JD and Boog, and they were talking about Kyle being transparent and wanting to use that curveball a little bit more, but not being able to do so because like his sinker wasn't right, his mechanics weren't right. And so if he's using that curveball more, and they said this, which I thought was great, that's kind of suggesting his mechanics are in line. So when you see that curveball spike above 10%, that signals Kyle is feeling really good. And so his velo for his sinker averaged over 87 miles per hour. That's one mile per hour faster than his year average. He got six whiffs on that changeup. He had 30 overall called strikes. That is the most of his entire career. And uh, Jordan Bastian, front of the podcast, pointed that out. That is just remarkable, Corey. 30 called strikes. Then you had 12 whiffs. You had just an incredible display of command. I, you know, the Tigers aren't the best hitting team, but he was making some of those guys look absolutely silly. Uh, the pitching ninja threw out uh, just this brief two-pitch sequence, and he's just painting those two seamers on the outside corner. One of them was up and in on the hands to, I believe it was Mazzara. It was a, a lefty Tigers batter. I'm forgetting who it was now. But like when he's doing that, it's, it's lights out. Yeah. He's one of the best pitchers. In the game, I thought the fact that he was using his four-seam very well last start signaled this was inevitable, and we we got it, man. I think Kyle is back to being who we thought he was, and that's a great sign for this rotation going forward. It's it's a lot to put on him, right, that you need him to be delivering these outings, but the Cubs need him to be delivering these outings, right? It, it it's, it's hard to look at a guy and go, we need you to throw seven, eight, nine shutout innings every fifth day or whatever, but... When you have a rotation that has, on the whole, not been giving you a lot of length, like I, I like we've talked about, you know, good to see Zach Davies kind of rounding into form himself and and looking more like the pitcher we expected. But you know, th- this this rotation doesn't have a a bevy of guys that are going out there and you know giving you such length and dominant starts every time they're out there and so when you have someone like Hendricks and he's got the pedigree that he does of course you know you allow him to if he comes out of the gate and isn't crisp in April and all that other stuff it's okay but for this team to really be successful like it's a lot to put on him but you need Kyle Hendricks to be really really good that's just how it's going to work when uh, the rotation is set up the way that it is. And, uh, you know, kind of on that note, I, I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on Arietta on Friday. Line looked really good. Um, you know, he it, it wasn't as crisp. Um, but, you know, we've seen outings like that from, from Jake before where it doesn't necessarily look... Um, you know, super dialed in and, you know, perfect command and everything, but he gets the results because his stuff is often pretty nasty and, you know, got himself a quality start. So just curious if there was anything you saw from Jake on Friday night. 
I, I thought Jake didn't look the best uh, that we typically have seen him, more so earlier in the year. His velo was down about a tick, and that's just likely because that, that thumb may not be 100%, even though it's good enough for him to pitch. And uh, another interesting little tidbit, uh, his spin rate on that sinker and his curveball were down over 100 RPMs. And like, what the hell does that mean? But that that is just because his thumb, that little abrasion that he has, uh, Marky had a good zoom in on it. Uh, that was affecting his grip, and he was adjusting his grip before he had, uh, went on the IL because of it. So I'm kind of thinking that it may not be like a you know hundred percent healed, but good enough for him to pitch, and that might be reflected by lower velo, lower spin rate. I thought the command really was not that sharp, but. When Jake is on the mound and he's good enough to pitch because of that weird unorthodox delivery and all the movement that he does generate, it is hard for these guys to make contact. So even when he's not at his best, he's still capable of getting guys out. And that is what we saw. But we know he has way more in the tank and way more potential when he's healthy, when he's able to spin in those sinkers and complement that with that slider the opposite way. And he just was not able to do that in his first start back. So let's see. Hopefully that thumb, if it was causing him some issues, I don't know if it was or not, just speculating. Hopefully that gets perfectly healed and we see that reflected by the velo going back up and the spin rate going back up and the command being sharpened all in all you know looking at things kind of just generally for jake uh i think you know the 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 signing and and bringing him back and and what you've expected out of him i think he's done pretty much anything you would have asked for right um you know he really had the one not good outing um on april 30th against the reds where he goes three and a third and gives up seven hits and seven runs. But otherwise, uh, a lot of starts that have been six innings, um, one or two earned runs. You know, there's a couple five-inning starts in there. But, you know, still the the max amount of earned runs that Arietta's allowed outside of April 30th against the Reds is three in five innings against the Brewers. Like, that's solid for what you were expecting from Arietta, and certainly from what you saw in Philadelphia and and just the sheer like I don't know if you guys noticed this but if you tweet about Arietta or talk about Arietta on any form of social media Phillies fans really don't like him um and that becomes increasingly clear when you talk about him or if you read the Cubs mentions when they talk about him they are not fans of Jake Arietta and that's their problem right the you know the Phillies fans can F off. I, you know, nobody cares about them. <laughs> but I, I just bring that up to say, like, you know, clearly his time in Philadelphia was not particularly successful. And looking at the body of work uh, this entire season for the Cubs, it, it is a it's a solid set of work for a guy that did not cost the Cubs a lot of money and who you're, you know, not really expecting that much from. He is he is certainly, as we've been kind of talking about uh, throughout the years, a lot of quality starts in there throughout his season. And more than anything, I, again, like really only that game against the Reds uh, a, a few starts ago, you know, before he went on the injured list, that's the only game where you would say he did not really give the team uh, a chance to win that game. He did not keep the team in the game on that particular evening. Every other start that he has made for this team, uh, and there have been seven total starts for Jake on the year. So in in all but one of them, he has given this team a very clear chance to win. It's all you're asking for. So I think that is the report that we have 
on the starting rotation for you. Um, I, I don't have too many guys in the bullpen that I think we really want to talk about, but I, I do want to dig into Keegan Thompson a little bit further as we brought him up. Again, uh, the outing on Saturday, two innings of work allows just one hit, no walks, five strikeouts, so he's his earned run average is still sitting at zero on the year, and I, I, I want to focus on him because clearly he's an interesting guy as we go forward here in the 2021 season, but we're going to keep hammering home on these guys who are potentially part of the Cubs' future plans in, in whatever role they might choose to use these guys, but continuing to see Justin Steele get out there, continuing to see guys like Keegan Thompson get out there, it's it's exciting in a way, Brendan, right? Like, Again, it, it, it's one of those like silver linings things because as we've talked about before in past years, you know, the Cubs have had um, you know, perhaps better overall rosters and, and more established guys in some of these roles. But with the roster as it is, one of the benefits is that they're they're getting an opportunity and they're doing it. That's, that's the more exciting thing because we've seen these opportunities in past years go to older guys, veterans, things like that. And there and there's still guys like that in the Cubs bullpen. Um, but to see a few of these guys, right, Steele, Alzali, Thompson being the guys that primarily come to mind, getting consistent opportunities, making the most of them, and kind of, you know, you're, you're starting to see them carve out that potential spot in the future. It's, it's exciting, and it's sort of an additional thing to pay attention to outside of the obvious, you know, of just trying to win the day's game. So what what did you see from Thompson the other day? I know you've been a big fan of him since that first outing, and I, I remember like right away in that first outing, you texting me and saying like, dude, this guy's body language, like I love it. Like I love his confidence. I love the way, you know, he's his posture and everything out there. He just looks like a major leaguer. And two innings, five strikeouts of relief on Saturday. I, I'm sure you were pumped up by that. This new cutter thing that he's doing, where he throws a cutter almost half the time, that that is new. He never did that in the minors, as far as I can tell. I've asked a few people about that. I'm like, hey, was he doing this back um, a couple years ago? And they're like, no, this this is a new thing for him. So whatever the purpose is for that cutter, it's new. I love the way it looks. He has more horizontal movement with that cutter than almost 200% that which you see from an average cutter. So that is absolutely insane. And then he complements that with the four seam, which is kind of really interesting because that four seam, the predicted movement of that four seam matches that what you see with this cutter. So that means out of the hand, it almost has similar like spin, but the observe, the actual movement is way more differentiated. So the way I think about that is, all right, well, hitters might have problems seeing the pitch out of his hand. And then right away, once the pitch is thrown, that cutter is cutting way in and the hitter can't really react in time. And you're, you're kind of seeing that in the early going here. So maybe that's the intent of why he's throwing more cutters, just to make that fastball harder for guys to pick up. And then he has that wipeout curveball. So this is like, I mean, he's got three pitches right there. He does throw a changeup around 4% of the time. So he's a four pitch guy. He He's a guy and I don't know how to do it. Right, I don't know how to get him more innings. I don't know if the right call is to piggyback him with Alzali as the year goes on because Alzali's on a pitch and innings limit. I don't know if you want to get Trevor Williams straightened out and put him in the bullpen for like a start or two and have Keegan take that role. I have zero idea. I have no idea what makes the most sense. But as a fan and me looking forward to the, to his future, 
I want to see him more. I think he has like everything. Like, yeah, his body language, man, the confidence, you can see it on that mound. And his his first career start in short notice going against a veteran lineup of the dot. Like, I mean, come on, Corey. That was next level. This guy has his stuff. He's got the, men- the mentality. He's got the physicality. I-, I don't know. Every time I see him pitch, I get more excited. I don't know if that's just like irrational optimism, but him and Alzali, those are the two guys that when they're on the mound, I'm like, I am very tuned in on every single pitch and they're fun to watch. I think those two guys could be very, very important features of this rotation for the next like five plus years. So yeah, you have to be excited about it. I don't know how to get them more pitches, but we got to figure it out. So want to turn to the offense here. One thing I just want to note, uh, because we talked about it, Ian Happ, of course, coming back on Saturday and getting in there. So as we kind of noted, I do just want to reiterate, like, really fortunate for Nico and Ian that both of them got through that collision healthy with, you know, seemingly no worse for wear because it it just looked bad when it first happened. And so it's just very glad that both of them are okay, you know, physically, mentally, and and just okay after that because those collisions are pretty scary and have certainly throughout the years and different teams and players resulted in much worse results than both of the guys coming back, you know, 10-ish days later and hopping back into the lineup and and looking great. So uh, very glad about that for both of those guys. And we did see uh, David Ross kind of sticking with this whoever's hot in the leadoff spot kind of thing. And and he said that uh, the other day uh, when Jock was put back in there and, you know, he kind of, and I'm, I'm, uh, paraphrasing here, but basically just said like, you know, kind of just going with who looks the best, who's the hottest and riding that. And he also mentioned something that I think I said the other day when we were talking about Hap coming back. Um, he, he mentioned, you know, wanting to ease Hap back into things. David Ross calls him Happer. I don't love that nickname. I got to be honest with you, Brendan. I, like I don't know it. why. I like it. No, um, I like it. I, I'm not going to call him Happer, but you know David Ross is the manager and a multi-time World Series champion, so he can <laughs> he can call him whatever he wants. But um, I mentioned that in the last episode because Happ had struggled, and we talked about how you know his Statcast numbers, his expected data, and all that, and you know really just the eye test that he deserved better. Um, you know I think uh, at one point he he was around a 500 ish OPS, like really bad, and he just didn't deserve that. Um, but I I'm glad that David Ross. I'm not going to say he listened to me, but you know I did say it. So maybe David Ross is a listener of the podcast. We appreciate that if you are, Manager David. Um, but I, I, I like easing Hat back into it. He had he had struggled, and the other day when we talked about it, the the primary reason I had for that was Hap's an important player, right? He's young. He's going to be part of this team for a while here. And I, when you get him back, knowing he's healthy, that's great. Let's focus on him getting right. Don't worry about, you know, him getting back to the leadoff spot. And, you know, I know that Ross had mentioned earlier in the year uh, before the injury that, you know, his vision of this team at its best was with Hap in the leadoff spot. And we can get there. I've got no issue with that. He was great in that spot for the majority of 2020. But now that he's back, take it easy. Just let him get back to hitting and doing his thing, and then we can worry about the lineup. So in this series, we did see Wilson Contreras in the leadoff spot uh, a couple times, and we saw Jock Peterson there. Jock Peterson continues to look really good, going the other way, hitting the ball with authority, and, you know, really like 
uh, just like that, you know, his numbers are not great and they're not where you want them to be. But considering where he was, it's always interesting to kind of see how quickly these guys' numbers sort of rocket right back to, you know, again, not where they want them to be, but certainly better uh, than the basement that they were in beforehand. So good to see from Peterson. Uh, and Hap has a big day, three for four on Sunday with a home run. He had an RBI double doing stuff on the base paths, like I said. So really good to see him back out there. Nico Horner, one for three, or uh, excuse me, had a, a sack fly on Sunday to bring in a run. So good to see Nico back out there and looking healthy, looking good. Um, but anything on, you know, those two guys in particular, Brendan, having Horner back, having Hap back, we saw Nico get the day off on Saturday, I think, you know, just didn't necessarily want him coming off the IL and playing three straight days. Um, both of these guys kind of hitting primarily toward the back end of the order. So David Ross kind of just easing them back in there. Glad to have him back. Um, but it, it, it's good to see these guys, good to see them healthy and, you know, have them back in this lineup. That's what it comes down to, right? You want to get those two guys back in and straightened out, specifically for Hap to how he was for most of uh, 2020. But the the thing that stood out to me was Ross's comfort level of batting Jock leadoff because Jock was looked good for the past week. And right away, Ross was like, all right, if you're going to be doing this, I'm going to put my best guys atop the order. And I point that out because it's kind of following the the urgency that we've been highlighting. And I know that was a big thing going into last season, and it kind of lost track a little bit, understandably so because of COVID and all that. But I like what Ross does there. And to get Jock more at-bats when he's feeling good and the results are coming, even though some of them are not falling for base hits, I, I like the mindset. And so it will be interesting to watch in the next few weeks. What does Ross do if Hap continues to look good? And what does Ross do if uh, Nico continues to look good? Who's going to bat leadoff? It sounds as if Hap being right means he's going to bat leadoff. But I don't know. What if Nico continues to hit over 300 and smacking the ball left field, right field? What does that do to Ross's thinking? And so that's just one of the more interesting trends to to follow. I think from all three of them, this is the, we'll see more from Nico and Happy and back, but this could be the first point of the year where all three are looking good. And not to throw David Bodie back in the situation, but, you know, David Bodie had a nice extra base hit on the third base uh, line. He's, his numbers aren't there, but he just looks good at times, many times. It's a at strange the dish. case for sure. I, I don't know how the I have no words for it, but it's I don't know. I just feel like he's playing good. So how all those guys get playing time when you have Matt Duffy like quite literally being one of the best hitters on this team, it's gonna be kind of a tricky situation for Ross to to navigate, but I have confidence he's gonna do it well. And I think whoever's getting the results they're going to get the most playing time and they're going to get the most at bats right away. I mean, we could be talking about being back in a leadoff spot full time by this time next week and it wouldn't be a surprise whatsoever. It's it's really enjoyable having Matt Duffy in this lineup. And uh I, when when they brought him in, I, I think we talked about how it was pretty obvious what they were looking at there and hoping to tap into with Duffy and that he was an OBP guy and a guy that could make consistent contact, and that's what you wanted. But it's it's been pretty, like, fascinating, maybe is the word, 
like it, it seems sort of obvious when you add a guy like this and you'd be like, okay, well, we hope he diversifies the lineup. The Cubs have a lot of swing and miss guys. They've got a lot of, you know, sort of three true outcomes guys, a lot of guys that walk a lot, strike out a lot, hit some home runs. But, you know, and, and so maybe it's obvious, but it, it just is sort of fascinating to see like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. He diversified the lineup. You've got a guy who makes contact and just how frequently we've seen the benefit of that, right? Even if it's just, you know, soft liners that hit the outfield grass to bring in a run or the, you know, opportunistic sack fly or RBI ground out, things like that, whatever it is. And of course he, you know, he he blasts a three-run home run this weekend. That, that obviously is great contact. But it it's just been rather um, it's been something to watch mm-hmm. this sort of work exactly as you would have hoped it would, right? We're going to bring in a guy who had success, you know, at, at, at especially earlier points in his career, you know, going back to uh, his runner-up Rookie of the Year campaign in 2015 with the Giants. Of course, uh, just to remind everyone, he lost the Rookie of the Year to Christopher Lee Bryant, who plays for the Chicago Bryant, Cubs yeah. and should play yeah. for the Chicago Cubs for the rest Forever. of his career. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's just cool, and and we talked about that earlier in the year. You know, sort of seeing some of these guys coming in to play bench roles and and doing really exactly what you were hoping for. But it it's just uh you know, and you see these articles get written by some of the beat writers like every day now, right? Like how Matt Duffy changed the look of the Cubs offense. How Matt Duffy brought a new approach to the Cubs offense. <laughs> and that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, you know, hitting fifth on Sunday, and I like I would. I don't think you expected to be in a spot, Brendan, where, you know, midway through May, if I told you, yeah, Matt Duffy's hitting, you know, fifth or or sometimes higher pretty consistently, did you expect to be in a spot where you go, oh, cool, good, (laughs) you know? Of course not. Yeah. Well, Duffy is among the most unique players in the, the league. He has the best swinging strike rate in the National League at 2.3%, Corey. I mean, that is uh, that is remarkable. He's the only player in Major League Baseball with a with an outside the zone swing rate of 20% and a contact rate over 90%. Like, let that sink in for a second. So he's been better from a plate discipline perspective in terms of making contact and not swinging at bad pitches than the typical guys you see, such as Michael Brantley or Jay Cronenworth in San Diego, who's been trending up, and David Fletcher of the Angels. Like these are guys who are known to make contact and not chase bad pitches. And Duffy is doing what they do well better. So is this going to last? No idea. He's been at times in his career one of these guys, and he's had seasons where his Woba is below 300 because maybe he makes too much contact on bad pitches. He's not doing that right now. And this is such a refreshing player to have in the lineup because we've been for years now, especially in 2020, watching guys not swing at bad pitches, but consistently miss pitches in the zone. And they have Duffy, who's among the best at making contact, do that in terms of not swinging at bad pitches and making contact. It's refreshing, man. It it really is. And he's playing third base. He can play shortstop if need be. He can play second base. He can play first base. 
he he's not like your your Ben Zobras esque player because Ben was such a more powerful hitter, but he's kind of like a poor man's version of Ben Zobras and maybe then some and his ability to make contact. And the 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 one thing that I was thinking about today, I don't know if it's going to end up being true or not when the season ends, but the baseball is more dead. It's not carrying as much as it used to, especially last year and way more before 2020. Players like Matt Duffy may begin to be more valuable. You may get more base hits because the ball is just deader. And those guys who, you know, don't swing at bad pitches, do make more contact, you, you might see the pendulum swing just a little bit back more in that direction. We'll see what happens as the year goes on. But Matt Duffy, man, if he's batting fifth in the next month or so, I wouldn't be surprised. But he's he's exactly what the Cubs have needed over the years. And this was through Saturday, so Duffy goes one for three on Sunday. So this this changed a little bit, but you know, likely not too much. Um, with two strikes, all three of his hits on Saturday came with two strikes, and his slash line with two strikes on him in a, in account is two forty four, three thirty three, three seventy eight. The MLB average with two strikes in the count is 158, 236, 254. So that obviously that's impressive. I mean, he's just, you know, doing really well when he has two strikes against him and he has to protect and, and do all the things you need to do when there's two strikes against you. But again, just thinking about how that fits in with this team, you know, um, you know, we know like Anthony Rizzo has, has had a really good approach with two strikes. He chokes up and, and we've certainly seen that through the years. But just with the flaws that we've seen in this lineup and how much strikeouts in particular have been talked about with this group and this core and and things like that, it's just really impressive to see a guy like Duffy, you know, not only making the contact that he is, putting up the numbers that he is, um, but being so impressive with two strikes and and in those kind of uh, tighter spots when he's batting and still coming through and and still getting the job done. And and I do want to clarify, right? Like Duffy's got a 750 OPS. Like don't get it twisted. Like we're not talking about him like he's the best hitter in baseball or anything like that. But I, I think the reason that we and all the, you know, as I mentioned, all the beat writers, bloggers, everybody is is so excited about Matt Duffy is because he is it's such a different approach than we have seen from a lot of this offense in past years. And I think it's really standing out to people the effect that that has in in just having at least one guy like that in the lineup to just sort of switch things up. And, you know, right now, I mean, the, the, the person I would choose to have up in any scenario, it doesn't matter what it is, is Chris Bryant because he's just on one right now. He exits. We we don't have a lot to talk about with him this particular weekend um, because he's just sort of playing at an MVP level every game he steps on the field. Um, But he leaves this series a 303 batting average and a 1032 OPS. So that's kind of all I really have to say about Chris Bryant. One of the best players in baseball should be extended for the rest of his career as a Chicago Cub. Um, But when you get into those clutch spots, runner on third, less than two outs, um, needing a big hit, like in those those extra innings when you have that inherited runner on, things like that, you feel really confident with Matt Duffy at the plate that at the very least, Brendan, he is going to give you a professional at bat and he is going to try to come through with whatever type of contact and whatever type of output that you really need in that spot. I'd go with Chris first because he's just... Uh, he's on an absolute tear, 
but you feel really confident with Duffy at the plate that he's going to get the job done, whatever that job is. That's the value of having someone with so much contact. And yeah, you're you're spot on. You give KB, of course, those chances. But if you need contact, Matt Duffy's your guy. Okay, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Washington to, Nationals. Brandon? What's that? Do we have to preview the series with Washington? We have to, Corey. Do we need you to know, talk about it. who's pitching on Monday night? I know. Or? I know. I see, I see the name in front of me. I, I don't know how you <laughs> react, but we're going to do it. Okay, so four-game set, the first of which begins Monday night at Wrigley Field. That game starts at 6.40 p.m. Central. I'm hating, guys, these 6.40 p.m. start times. I don't know what's going on. Oh, they got to change that next disagree year. disagree with you there. Corey. First off, West Coasters, 440 for me, that can't happen. I'm missing the first like three. Yeah, it is a me problem. Nothing I can do about it. But come on, at least helps those West Coast guys out. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. Nice. A little extra 25 minutes or so before the game. Games end a little earlier. Come on. No, 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 no. For you, maybe not for me. Okay. Let me, you're, you're like, you're belaboring the point I'm trying to make right uh, Intentionally, now. Have, yeah. <laughs> I can I can tell. So we have Adver Alzelay on the mound in game one. Alzelay on the year, one and three, a 4.5 ERA. He'll be facing Corey, his first start back in a different uniform, your boy, John Lester on the year. Lester 0-1 with a 2.25 ERA. I'm sure you may have some things to say about him. As I wrap up this preview, but John Lester making his start back uh, against the Cubs for his first time in his career at beautiful Wrigley Field. On Tuesday, same start time, 6.40 p.m., Patrick Corbin on the mound for the Nats. He'll be facing Zach Davies for the Cubs. Corbin on the year, not good. A 2-3 record, a 6.19 ERA. Davies, a 2-2 record, a 5.6 ERA. He's looked much better his last two, uh, two starts out. Hoping to continue that. On Wednesday... We have Max Scherzer on the mound for the Nationals. He'll be taking the mound at 6.40 p.m. Central facing Jake Arrieta, two former Cy Young Award winners. Uh, Scherzer on the year, that 3-2 and two record, that 2.1 ERA, where you typically see Scherzer. Arrieta on the year, a 4-3 and three record, a 4.1 ERA. All right, finishing off this four-game set, we have Trevor Williams back on the mound, this time an afternoon game at 1.20 p.m. Central. Williams on the year, not good, 2-2 two two is 6.27 ERA. He'll be facing Joe Ross for the Nationals with a 2-3 and three record, a 5.8 ERA. The Nationals on the year, off to a slow start. They're right now 15-20. The Cubs going into this set are 19-20. They're currently three and a half games out of the first place St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals do play the Padres on Sunday night baseball, so they could be entering this four-game set only down three games from St. Louis. This is a long four-game set. The Cubs will be facing a lot of good pitchers. Corbin has that track record. You have, of course, John Lester with that track record. You have Max Scherzer, who's off to a good start. So this will be a good test, even though the Nationals on the year are 15 and 20 and off to a good start. Still a quality team. Many former Cubs also returning. Uh, We've seen Castro, Starlin Castro, back at Wrigley a few times now. But Kyle Schwarber also making his first start back, presumably uh, at some point in the series at Wrigley. So there'll be a lot of emotions high, a lot of hugs will be happening and deservedly so Corey uh just a few trends to watch you want to see 
Trevor Williams get back to form. Look at that curveball. If he's not throwing curveballs, he's not comfortable with it. Uh, for Arietta, you can follow some of these stack cast numbers during the game if you're kind of a psycho, but you can see how that spin rate's looking for Jake during the game on Baseball Savant. Psycho it's like spin you, ra- you mean. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of okay. what I'm saying. But you can look at that spin rate on Baseball Savant. If it's like below his year average, maybe that thumb is not where it really is. And then offensively, we'll see how they manage David Bodie and Nico Horner and Ian Happ and Eric Sogard. We'll see what Ross does in terms of that leadoff spot. Maybe we see Jock against Wrighty's batting leadoff. Maybe we see Ian Happ get some chances at leadoff uh, as well. So those are the trends to watch. Corey, I'm going to give it to you. Your boy, John Lester, back at Wrigley for the first time. I don't really have a lot to add on that. I don't really want to talk about it, frankly. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. It's just going to be so gross to see him in another uniform at weird, Wrigley man. Field. I- I'm glad he gets back there. I-, I-, I wish that they were coming later in the year, um, one, so that I could make the game. But two, because, you know, it's it's we're still at, you know, what is it, around 10,000 fans-ish? And, you know, I think yeah. for him and for Kyle, I, I wish that they were able to come back um when Wrigley was full and, you know, they can kind of get the full standing ovation and, and, you know, that whole treatment. So I think in that regard, you know, it's kind of a shame that it's happening um, at this point, but I'm sure the 10,000 plus Wrigley faithful there on Monday night will, um, you know, do it justice for, for Kyle and John. I'm sure the Cubs team has some nice videos or whatever put together. And, you know, like, it is what it is. I mean, it's been a few months now, and obviously I've seen him pitching in another uniform, so I, I you know, I'm kind of uh, past it as much as I can be, right? Um, so I'll try to enjoy, you know, I'm sure there'll be some fun moments. I mean, John uh, and David Ross have already kind of talked about their, you know, kind of already trash talking. I'm sure Rizzo has been texting John nonstop about how he's going to take him <laughs> right. deep or something like that. And, you know, if we do get something like that, I'm sure it'll be quite funny. Um, you know, kind of, I, I would imagine, I doubt John would ever smile or enjoy giving up a home run, but if anybody's able to rib him enough uh, afterward, it, it would probably be Anthony Rizzo. He's not going to smile after giving no, up a home run. No, I know. But I'm just, Come you on. know, I, I know. But I, know. I uh, that, that, you know, try to enjoy that. That's a weird spot, though, because like, obviously I want the Cubs to win. Like, I don't want to watch John Lester give up home runs, you know? It's just a weird spot. Like, I want the Cubs to win, but, like, it's it's still just, like, just because he's on the Nationals, I, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, boys, like, you know, knock him out in an inning. Like, I don't want to watch that, right? I mean, the, the best thing you can hope for is just a, a bunch of runs, a bunch of fluky, like, bloop hits, you know? So well, or John's like, you know, John bad. and Adbert trade zeros into like the sixth or seventh and, you know, right, the Nationals bullpen that. blows the game, right? Something yeah, like that. They, yeah, okay. Maybe Rizzo gets like a double. Him and John can laugh it off. He can yell at John from the bases, stuff like that. But yeah, sure. it's just like kind of, you know, awkward a little bit for, for me at least. I don't know. I how... guarantee you Rizzo tries to steal second base off John if he gets Oh, man. <laughs> see, now that, see, now that we can root for. That's like good content. That, that's, yeah. that, that is, that is interesting. Rizzo will be leading um, off like halfway through first and second. <laughs> yeah, I can go for that. But yeah, it's yeah. just, it, it's just weird. I, you know, and, and, you know, we, we all know how that, that played out. I'm obviously still disappointed that, uh, Cubs ownership didn't pony up the the very small amount of money that, that John ended up taking in Washington. So, you know, kind of having to like relitigate all that with him coming back and everything. But it is what it is. Um, you know, John's legacy in Chicago is not going to change. 
and uh, I'm, I'm glad he at least gets to be welcomed back by some fans. You know, when he made his last start as a Cub, there were no fans there. His last season as a Cub, there were no fans there. So that was obviously a big shame, and you know we can't go back and change that. But at least uh, some amount of Cub fans will be able to properly salute him, properly salute Kyle, thank them for their their time and their contributions to the Chicago Cubs organization. And I'm glad we at least get to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to enjoy that. I don't think I. It's I, I've I've tried to avoid the highlights, you know, on Twitter and stuff when. He's been pitching for the Nationals, uh, and he was out for a good portion of the season, so it hasn't happened too much. Um, but it's just weird. It, it, he doesn't look good in that uniform. It just doesn't feel right. It's it's not right. But as I said, this is where we are. I've had uh, a few months now to kind of get over that. Um, as you guys can tell, I'm totally over it, and I'm fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think there's like a sarcastic gif um, from Ross from Friends that's pretty popular on Twitter where he's just, I'm, I'm fine. fine, I'm fine. He's, you know, yeah. almost in tears, basically. So yeah. that's me. Anyway, uh, as far as the series is con- oh, yeah, they have a whole series to play. This this isn't a just about one. John Lester. Uh, weird. A big series for both teams. Yeah, it's, it, you know, again, it, it's sort of that same thing with the Cubs. They took care of business in Detroit. Of course, you would have liked to sweep, but uh, two out of three is always solid. And, you know, I think in general, in most facets of the game this weekend, the Cubs played solid baseball. They look good. And it's it's just about stringing these together. Washington is a, is a tough opponent. Um, and you're going to see some tough pitchers in this series. And, you know, the Cubs just got to find a way to keep things going here. Uh, as Brendan and I are recording this, the Brewers did win on Sunday, so the Cubs uh, remain a game back of the Brewers. Uh, the Cubs one game under 500, the Brewers one game over, and the Cardinals are starting up, I believe, as we speak on Sunday night baseball against the Padres here pretty shortly. So uh, the Cubs will either be three games out of first place or four games out of first place. And either way, as it's been pretty much the whole year, they're they're right in the thick of it, right? They, they, need, a, they need to go on a little bit of a run, and the division is is awfully clustered. Um, the Pirates, six games under, six games back, so perhaps they're kind of starting to find their rightful place in the deep, deep cellar there in the NL Central. But Cubs and Reds uh, separated by just uh, you know a little bit in the win percentage column, both a game under 500. Cubs have played a couple more games, so they're both three and a half out. So it's clustered. You've got four teams that are right there, but the Cubs are one of them, which is basically what we expected from this season and and what we were hoping for. They're 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 right in it. They still haven't played the first place St. Louis Cardinals. That's coming up. So try to win this series against Washington. Keep stringing victories together. Keep stringing series wins together. And in a division like that, this that should be all that you need to remain competitive and remain a threat to win the division. And for the Cubs, that would mean defending their NL Central crown. So that's what we will be looking for. Um, If you listen out of your window on Monday night and you hear the sound of faint sobbing, it's probably me uh, watching John Lester pitch at Wrigley Field in a Washington Nationals uniform. Uh, but other than that, uh, we thank you guys for listening here. Nice series in Detroit for the Cubs. Pick up a couple of wins, and it will be good to be back at home. So thank you guys, as always, for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you after the Cubs and Nationals wrap up this set at Wrigley Field. And as always, go Cubs!